CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% bullshit is what I think. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by SCIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Hey, every Friday, Ramon Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times joining us, editor, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show. Welcome back, Ramona. Hi, it's good to be back. Welcome back, Dennis. Hey, yes. thanks. Skier. <laughs> My question is where you went skiing. Uh, Michigan, like a place uh, near Three Rivers, Michigan. Okay. So that's not that high-end, bougie, I guess, as we would say. I was going to ask if you went to Wilmont, which is where I would go. Oh, no, no, no. People were calling me bougie on the live stream chat last week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was the first time skiing. Yeah, my first time skiing. Uh, You know, I'd like to say it's my last time, but I got a feeling it's not. I just kept falling down a lot. Um, the, the instructor, he kept going, I was mentioning this a few days ago. The instructor kept going, all right, now Dennis, remember pizza, French fries. If you need to stop pizza, if you need to go French fries. And I'm like falling down over and over again. And this guy's just yelling, come on, Dennis, pizza. You're right to strangle the guy. Well, I'm glad you're okay. And Thanks. Glad you had- yeah. He didn't break a leg. Uh, I'm glad too. And, um, very bougie. He was drinking champagne, eating lobster. While skiing, uh, doing both of those skiing. things. Yeah. All right, Ramana, no beating around the bush. Uh, we're gonna we have a whole list of things to discuss with you. I read, uh, we talked already uh, briefly about them uh, before the show. I got a little idea of where you stand on things. Let's start with Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, Dennis said he was going to make you do an imitation of Ted Cruz. I don't think uh, we're going to make you do that. It's uh, really do you have easy. An imitation of Ted Cruz. I'd have to have on my dad jeans and my white gym shoes <laughs> to but to, to do a sort of. Ted Cruz impression. Watch Ben's but, though. Ben's is really good. Watch. All you got to do is hold your nose and talk, really. So, Ben, let's see. Uh, uh, my daughters made me do it. Oh, my God, right? want to do it. It's Ted Cruz. <laughs> All right. So, Romana, I've heard a lot of excuses from politicians down through the years. Okay. Uh, Chicago mayors, as I pointed out, have become masters of blaming their police chief for whatever goes wrong and firing a police chief or the corporation lawyer. It's always good to have that guy around, smack him. But until Ted Cruz came around, I never heard a a politician blame his kids. Yeah. So big Teddy Cruz went down to Cancun to get away from the cold in Texas. And uh, when the, the beep hit the fan, he threw his kids under the bus. Go ahead. Yeah, he said that he, you know, he wanted to make his kids happy and he went because he wanted to be, quote, a good father, unquote. That's what he said yesterday. Um, I actually have um, family. Mick has two, my um, husband, Mick, and your friend has two uncles who live in Texas. I have uh, really good family friends who live in Texas and one of my cousins lives in Texas. And, you know, I've been seeing the pictures they post, you know, I'm kind of making fun of them because there's like one inch of snow and they're all like rolling around in the snow. And my friends and my cousin all have been lived in Chicago before. So, um, 
two of my friends had to sw- have a swimming pool, which wasn't even emptied out. And, you know, it says they didn't even empty out their pool, but they have snow and they're building snowmans. But they did snowmen, but they were saying that, you know, it is pretty bad. They've had like some serious discussions on Facebook because, you know, they're talking about how some people like hate Texas and they're like, they didn't care what happened. And they said, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, immigrants who live here. It's not just the Trumpsters. It's, it's actually a pretty diverse community. And, you know, there's a lot of poor people without water and power. And one of my friends was without power and some people were without power for a little while. My friends are okay. So they did talk a little bit about Ted Cruz and everybody's really mad there about him, you know, when all, when everything's horrible, everything horrible is happening in Texas, he flies to Cancun with his family. So I, I don't know, um, like politically, like if a lot of people who supported him are, are kind of lashing out. I don't know how, I don't know what the, the feeling is there, but you know, my relatives and my friends are saying that, it, you know, everybody's just really mad. I mean, they, they, most of, I can, I can say that at least most of the people that I know who live in Texas didn't vote for Trump or didn't vote for Ted Cruz. And uh, yeah, but there, you know, there's just been a lot of jokes. Like uh, yesterday in our uh, news meeting, somebody said that they heard um, somebody refer to him as flood, flood Cruz. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, no flood Cruz. And there's pictures of him with corn, uh, like cornrows. Like people are like Ted Cruz. <laughs> after a vacation in Cancun. So, you know, people, all the jokes and the, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it's I think are, like rightfully angry for him to like go to Cancun while there's a pandemic and, uh, you know, a disaster in Texas right now with a lot of people not, you know, I think the power's back on the latest I've heard is a lot of the, a lot of people have their power back on, but there's a shortage of water, which is yeah. terrible. Uh, all right. So no ducking and dodging. I'm going to ask you directly a point blank. Do you think Ted Cruz is telling the truth? when he says that he only went to Cancun because his daughters really wanted him to go. I'm trying to think of what 12-year-old daughter wants her father to go with them on a beach vacation really bad, (laughs) but whatever. He swears up and down. He just did it because his daughters really wanted him to go with him and he was being a good dad. Or do you think uh, he was making that up and he just wanted to hang out on the beach and drink margaritas? Romano's saying, don't duck and dodge. I mean, I think at that age, at that age, you don't really plan your vacations. I mean, when I was 12, I didn't plan my vacations. My dad would plan our vacations or my mom. They're like, oh, we're going to go to Disney World. Or they would ask us if we wanted to go to Disney World. And of course, we wanted to. But, and, you know, I tell them I wanted to. But most of the times, it was up to my parents whether we're going to go anywhere or not. So I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. Ted Cruz, you got to come up with a better excuse than that. I don't know. Fire, find a police chief. You can fire. That's how Lori Lightfoot would do it and call it a day. All right, let's move on from Ted Cruz. Uh, It couldn't happen to a better person, in my humble opinion. Uh, One of the most obnoxious politicians in America, Ted Cruz. Uh, He's getting uh, what goes around comes around. I don't know if you saw this because he was he's making fun of some Democrat who did the same thing. I think it was the Austin mayor uh, who was uh, out of town during the middle of the pandemic and he was calling him a hypocrite. Uh, So what goes around comes around. Aren't you surprised he didn't blame AOC? For going to Cancun. Yes. Yes. That's so true. <laughs> that's what my my older uh, sister was saying. I'm surprised you didn't blame AOC. That he has a thing with AOC. And then he tries to like that was the other thing. He tried to like show he was kind of hip. 
I don't know if you, I don't know if you talked about this because this may have uh, fallen in between the time you weren't on the show, but when that, uh, the whole hedge fund, uh, eruption, uh, over GameStop, GameStop yeah. uh, emerged and it was a hot topic. We talked a lot about it on the show and, uh, Ted Cruz, AOC, uh, call for hearings and to what, to see whether, um, uh, the, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the outfit, uh, was bowing to the wishes of the hedge fund, the big Robin. hedge fund. Robin Hood, yes. Robin Hood was bowing to the wishes of the hedge funds and cutting off uh, sales on uh, uh, GameStop. And Ted Cruz said, yeah, I agree. And then AOC immediately said, don't try to pimp off of me. You yeah. you were like holding me. Don't try to, no, 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 don't try to ride my wave. Uh, I don't know. We did talk about it. We did, we did talk, talk about it. Ramada, you know I love AOC just a little too much. All right. Uh, (laughs) I had to bring her up. I'm like, I'm surprised he didn't blame her. Yeah. All right, Rush Limbaugh. You said said something very interesting. I'd like you to uh, go into it a little bit. Rush Limbaugh, probably, um, he kind of wrote the playbook uh, that Donald Trump followed in terms of white men feeling really sorry for themselves and blaming absolutely everybody uh, who's of a different color for any misfortune they f- they may be facing uh, so that there's no accountability for them. Uh, and it is it's sort of the underlying philosophy of Trumpism. And Trump took it all the way to the White House. Uh, he died the other day, of course, uh, radio giant. Uh, and you made a confession to me before the show. Talk a little <laughs> bit about it. You've well, actually, go ahead. I basically said that I never really listened to Rush Limbaugh. I knew who he was. I mean, I'm not going to, I, of course I knew that he was this like conservative talk show radio host, but have I ever listened to one enti- entirety of a show? I've seen clips, but I never heard him. I never listened to his show. I mean, probably because I had no interest in listening to that. And, you know, I've heard about the things that he said, you know, you know, <laughs> he's sexist he he said a lot of racist things i forgot what he called barack obama didn't he call him the magical black negro or something something to that sort um and then you know he he'd have you know he made fun of michael j fox and his parkinson disease which is similar to what trump did when it comes to people with disabilities so i don't know i just felt like i i guess a lot of people probably did listen to him just as to see what he's saying um you know just like some people some people that i know who don't like fox news watch fox news just to see what that side or the extreme right is saying so i don't know i just had no interest in listening to him i'm like why do i know why do i don't want to waste my time listening to him but i did i heard like snippets of him and whenever there was controversy where he would say something that was controversial which is probably a lot but anytime like there was a a notable person that he would say something about that would definitely um be in the headline so i'd read it but i didn't really listen to him yeah i uh i think i shared this already on the show the one time the heavy dose of rush on my god was when i was in a car with uh steve the ad salesman from the old radio station i used to work for and he was a fan of rush limbaugh he goes, you got to hear, let's hear what Rush has to say. And so I was about to go do this, uh, like a, a, a remote show in front of a whole bunch of group of lefties and progressives. Uh, and so I'm trying to think about in a progressive way, Romana. Yeah. And all of a sudden this Rush Limbaugh comes on. I'm like, within five minutes, I was like, man, you got to turn this off. This, this stuff is just, how could you listen to this? I mean, it was just all like, everything was blaming the minorities, 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 minorities. He like twisted everything. We're like, like somehow you would think that black people ran this country 
and, and, and white people, somehow or other, white men were an endangered species in America. I'm like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to go, I got to go talk to a group of lefties. <laughs> it's like bringing me down, man. This guy's so weird and twisted. Yeah. And I don't wish for anybody's death, but I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of commentary, some from my friends and some other people about how they felt like a lot of the obituaries kind of, you know, whitewashed his legacy and what he was. But I don't know. There's some that I read, you know, they pointed out what he was about. And, you know, of course, like Donald Trump put out a statement, you know, calling him <laughs> patriot and all these other nice things to say. And, you know, I don't like I said, I don't wish for anybody to die. Cancer is a ter- terrible thing, but it was I'm not going to pretend that this guy was like a harmless guy and mm-hmm. everything that he did wasn't good. Ninety nine point nine percent. And I couldn't believe he was married three times. I was thinking like, God, what woman? Yeah, he was really in the, he was really in the Viagra. I'm not making that up. He was yeah. really in the Viagra. And then he uh, uh, totally at, uh, attacked the young woman uh, on the whole issue of uh, contraceptives being yeah. uh, and, part of a health care plan. But he was really in the Viagra. So I'm like, I, listen, when he died, I said, Romano, go, I was like you. I'm like, Romano, I'm like, you know what? My mom told me uh, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all when a person dies. But that's like a 24 hour thing, Romano. OK, the 24 hours is gone. I'm like, all right, now I can rip him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't really listen to him. But, you know, it's really funny. Interesting, because, you know, people told me that the first time they heard about him when we had our news meeting the day he died, um, a couple of one of our editors was saying that um, he remembers when he was in college and his taxi driver's like, Oh my God, you got to listen to this. It's similar to like what you went through. And he's just like, Oh my God, no, I don't <laughs> want to listen to this. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the, I, I, there were people that I knew that listened to Rush Limbaugh just for fun, but I don't know. It didn't sound like fun to me from what I, you know, from the articles that I read, I'm like, I don't know if I want to read this. Yeah, or listen to it. All right, uh, let's move on and talk about some newspapers. I'm going to ask you about, we'll start with the New York Times and we'll go to the Tribune. We'll give a shout out uh, to our brethren uh, at the Tribune who are really facing a tough time. But we'll start with the New York Times. We made a lot of fun of the New York Times for their interview with Lori Lightfoot, a real puff piece interview. Uh, Tell us, Mayor Lightfoot, how are you so brilliant? And she goes, well, thank you for that question. I am brilliant because I was born that way. Uh, <laughs> you make it sound like masterpiece theater, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I read the New York Times, but I was, I think I read my limit, so I couldn't read the article. So I had to read our reporter's take on her, on her New York Times um, interview. You talk about Fran Spielman? Fran Spielman and Neil Steinberg. I read, I read both of their articles. Like, well, Fran was talking about, uh, I think within her article, she talked about the New York times interview. And then Neil Steinberg did a whole column on uh, the interview with Lori Lightfoot and kind of criticized Lori Lightfoot about, you know, promises that she made and just her talking about the teacher's union, the way she was talking about the teacher's union. And I thought he was pretty fair. He was like, he was like, it's not like I always take the teacher's union side, or I think, you know, the LSCs were necessary. These are, these are the local school councils from the nineties. I don't think they have them anymore. Do they? Yes, they have them. They do that. Oh, my God. Yes, I could go on and on. But yes, they're still there. Yeah, uh, but they no longer have a say in who gets to sit on the school board. Yeah, that's that. I think that's yeah, that's what it was. So like um, Neil Steinberg just pointed out that, you know, you know, and Fran pointed this out too. how she said that if it wasn't for her, she you know, she was basically talking about her power. The schools wouldn't reopen. And a lot of people said, like, well, so does this mean that she's not going to um, let people vote? 
for who they want on the school board. And so, you know, people are talking about her taking away promises and her like, you know, just going to, and then Neil Steinberg talked about, you know, cause she went to the Washington post too, I believe. And there was some sort of Washington post article or like some sort of something she told the Washington post. So, uh, Neil was just saying, you know, there are reporters from other towns who kind of like, you know, swoop in and they cover something and they don't really know the complexities or everything that's involved or, you know, the, the characters or the personalities. So they, he kind of gave out a shout out to Fran Spielman, who has been covering City Hall for so long and is like irked so many mayors, you know, because she does ask the right questions and she d- does get to the heart of the matter. Um, so he just talked a little bit about that, too. Like he was just, you know, he seemed to be alluding that this was pretty much a fluff piece in the New York Times of Lori Lightfoot. And I guess, uh, you know, the people who work in the mayor's office know that, too. They're like, well, if we go to the New York Times, it's a very well-read paper across the country. Uh, they're not going to ask the tough questions that Fran Spielman's going to ask. So why don't we go to the New York Times? Because this way, you know, she gets to get her you know, voice out there in the way she wants it because she's talking to the New York Times and not talking to anybody necessarily in the local press. Uh, so what's your attitude, Ramana Hussein, about <laughs> out-of-town reporters uh, who suddenly take a deep dive? Just venture into Chicago and then... I, you know, I, I don't want to say that I don't want um, anybody bringing a fresh eye to the city because sometimes you know people there might be topics or you know things that we might not necessarily look at but in general every time there's a reporter that swoops in like they they've like barely been to chicago or don't really understand what's happening in chicago they kind of swoop in and they write this like long article nine out of ten times i find like it's totally off base and it's like well not really you know what i mean and then, you know then people start having these arguments back and forth and then I remember one time, remember the Black Site article from The Guardian came out in 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 in, the, in in Chicago. A lot of people were saying, well, that's not necessarily true. There's not necessarily a Black Site. There's definitely things that the, poli- the police department are doing wrong. And then, and then there's all these people. All my friends I know were posting that article by The Guardian. And then if anybody said anything, they're like, oh, you're just jealous. The Chicago reporters are just jealous because they didn't get the story or get the scoop. But it's a little more complicated than that. And I think that's what that's the same with any beat, really. Um, I told you this before. When I was covering 26 and Cal, this is a criminal courthouse. There were sometimes reporters who were very smart and they would just kind of swoop in one day to cover 26 and Cal. And it first of all, I'd laugh because they would show up at like 845 for a nine o'clock hearing. Anybody who covers the criminal courthouse knows that if it's a, they say there's a hearing at 10 o'clock, it's not going to start until 1130. So they'd be there at like eight o'clock and they'd be telling me how they were there so early. And then me and the Tribune reporter would be covering it, covering 26 and Cal all the time. We'd be like laughing at them. And, you know, they didn't understand like when they when they did their articles, they were completely different than the articles that me and the trip, my Tribune competition would do. And I'm not knocking them, but it would be like they would write like these long stories on things that are just kind of like the basic things that happened at 26 and Cal, like as if it was something new, it was a new revelation. And maybe that's good because like, sometimes I'd be like, maybe we've gotten so used to the way things run at the courthouse. We think it's normal. So it's good in a way, but then sometimes it's like things that need to be covered are the most important things that get covered when somebody just kind of swoops in, not might not necessarily be a hundred percent what is exactly happening. And so that I'm not saying that re- other reporters can't cover other people's beats or other people for other reporters from other parts of the country can't cover our city. They can, nobody's saying that, but they need to really research it. I think one of the things that 
I don't know. I'm not saying that I would, I would be perfect, but I think research needs to, you need to go and look at the local papers, I think, or look at the local coverage before you go and interview that's someone good. Claire Lightfoot. That's good advice. By the way, the Neil Steinberg piece, uh, I should point out, was not in the Sun-Times. Neil Steinberg is a regular columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, but he has his own personal blog uh, every goddamn day, I think it is. It's a, my humble opinion, it's an excellent blog. Uh, he's a great writer, and uh, he comes hard. <laughs> All right, now let's get to the controversy. I, I didn't have a strong objection to the language that he used, and Neil did in his. In fact, we, we quoted him on, on in the. Uh, I didn't find the objectionable language. Okay, then they, therefore uh, there was no object. Uh, there was um, the language where he talked about how I'm doing this from memory. Uh, France Spielman. It was it was an ode to France Spielman along the lines of what you were saying because what France Spielman did, uh, Chicago Sun Times uh, City Hall reporter, was she took that puff piece New York Times story and turned it into a real story and went to like Mayor Lightfoot's critics. Like Mayor Lightfoot asked him, like, if it wasn't for me, the schools wouldn't open. If it wasn't for me, the sun wouldn't rise. If it wasn't for me, the lake wouldn't, the waves wouldn't come in. And so you're, you're, you're welcome, Chicago. That was kind of, and the New York Times reporter is like, oh, this sounds good to me. And uh, so Fran Spielman then went and interviewed other people in Chicago, like the teachers union got their point of view. And so what Neil said in his, his blog post was that what she did was she took the New York Times puff piece and like whittled it down and it rammed it right up her ass. I think it oh. came to her, her head. It was like a really graphic illustration. <laughs> Damn, Neil, you're on some fire there. I don't know uh, if I saw that, but I got to read it. I got to reread it. I don't remember anything being stuck up somebody's butt. So I, oh, yeah. I, it, it brought back memories to me of uh, your husband, my dear friend, Mick Dumkey, when Mayor Daly. <laughs> Mick comes on the show about once a month, Ramon and I always, come on, Mick, one more time. Tell us about the time that Mayor Daly. Anyway, Neil was uh, doing Mayor Daly imagery. All right, good job, Neil Steinberg. Our hats off to you. Uh, Chicago Tribune, a good column by Eric Zorn. Uh, in today's Tribune, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but I'll just summarize it if you haven't. And he's talking about the fact that Alden Hedge Fund Outfit is now taking control of the Tribune. They're notorious, Ramana. They're notorious for, like, just cutting costs, trying to squeeze every nickel they can get out of a newspaper. They're not in the business to shed light on what government's up to. They're in business just like to squeeze every nickel they can so they can make more money. I mean, let's just be calling it like it is. And uh, I'll quote you from uh, Eric Zorn's column. Uh, uh, Washington Post media critic has described Alden as the most ruthless of the corporate strip miners, seemingly intent on destroying local journalism. That's str strong stuff. And Eric, uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, now that Alden's taking control, I'm going to drop my subscription. And Eric is saying, subscribe, please renew, patronize our advertisers, click on our content. You can't punish the hedge fund in advance by first punishing the reporters, editors, photographers, and yes, columnists who are working to provide as a comprehensive balance of daily newspapers possible. And I know, uh, Romano, you were teasing me uh, and I hate the Tribune. It's true. I cannot stand that freaking editorial board. They've lost their mind. And Johnny Cass, he lost his mind 10 years ago. Uh, he's such a MAGA supporter. I just wonder how he could look at himself in the mirror. But guys like Eric Zorn and um, uh, just 
Michael Hawthorne and uh, Rex Hupke and Mary Schmeech. I mean, there's so many outs, Steve Johnson. There's just so many great writers. Rick Kogan, I just don't want to leave anyone out. There's so many great writers, serious journalists at the Tribune. And it, I just tell you, as a, as a, a, a guy who's been in this business forever, and I know how rough this business is and how little we make and how vulnerable we are. And it's like papers are going out of business all the time. I feel for them. Just so I'm with them 100 percent. Eric, I am not giving it even though my money is going to Alden, I am going to continue to subscribe uh, to the Chicago Tribune. Because I know um, people like you are good journalists and deserve it. Your thoughts on what's happening to, uh, yeah. to the trip? Wait, I actually, I always tell people this. I actually grew up reading the Tribune. I don't really read the Sun Times. I didn't start subscribing to the. So my family had a subscription to the Tribune, which I still have. Um, but I didn't start subscribing to the Sun Times until I started working as a journalist because I wanted to see what both papers are doing. So that's a paper that I grew up with, the Chicago Tribune. And I actually was a one year resident there for a little bit. So I did work there. Um, and a lot of my friends, there's a lot of there's a lot. It's a very incestuous uh, town. Everybody knows everyone in journalism. So a lot of people I worked with are working at the Tribune. A lot of people I worked with at the C- at City News Bureau, a lot of people I worked with at the Chicago Sun-Times are working at the Tribune. So I do have a lot of friends there. Um, yeah, I don't agree with everything that's in has been in the paper, but I don't agree with everything that's in the Sun-Times either. And people always think that we want, like people from the Sun-Times want the Tribune to fold and Tribune people, reporters want the Sun-Times to fold. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the more news organizations we have, the more, you know, the website organizations we have, radio stations, the better it is for democracy. I would, it would be very, very sad. I mean, there's a lot of good news outlets in Chicago. But it would be sad if we became a one paper town. And I don't know if you, you've probably been reading, um, you know, all these different Tribune reporters who've been there for a long time, veteran reporters have just been leaving the Sun Times. I mean, the Tribune, sorry, taking buyouts and they're they're struggling. And it's interesting because for a long time, it was the Sun Times that was struggling and the Tribune would be. The paper that would be, you know, news news in general, newspapers in general have been struggling, but they would always be in better shape. And right now it just seems like, God, they're like been bled dry and then have have Alden swoop in. Um, it's very sad. I was looking at all the um, tweets that my you know friends from the Tribune were uh, posting and they were really sad. I liked a lot of their tweets. And I don't know if you saw, they were kind of all angry at Dave, David Axelrod, a former Tribune reporter and... Um, political strategist he had a he had a tweet about how he loved the tribune and uh you know how he had like you know a lot of good experience there and at the end he wrote r.i.p tribune and then every and all the tribune reporters are like why are you killing the tribune off you know and they felt he was really arrogant so a lot of my friends were posting you know kind of posting his tweet and kind of getting upset at the stuff that he was saying they're like this is so arrogant you're like you know basically putting us to death and we're not. And, you know, why don't you like, instead of, you know, talking about your time, why don't you like help in some way or like, you know, put your voice out there about why people should be helping the Tribune. So people, a lot of people were upset about it. Dave Axelrod's tweet from, I think a lot of my friends. So yeah, I, I do feel bad for them and I'm a tribute. I'm still a Tribune subscriber. I get the paper every day. I'm not planning on getting rid of it. 
All right, you hear that, Eric Zorn? Uh, Ramon and I are sticking to the Tribune. I did not know that about David Axelrod. I, obviously, as you tease me all the time, I'm not on Twitter. Uh, Ramon, I've always said Ramon like articles to read, but she's really good. She sends me articles to read too, keep me posted, and a lot of Twitter stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> what limited knowledge I have. It's breaking on Twitter. Yeah, send that to me. I did not realize that. That that that, that is pretty bogus. Did he apologize at I all? Did but I know a lot of people were like. Um, you know, taking that quote, tweeting him, they're like, Oh my God, how can he say that? So I don't know if he apologized since then, but. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, the, the Tribune staff right now, and uh, they organized it and it was the younger reporters that led the way and the younger staffers, the millennials, and I give them a lot of credit. Charlie Johnson came on my show and then it got the baby boomers into like Eric Zorn became a, when Eric Zorn came on the show, when we were, when I was at the bright one, when I was still at the studio, my beloved little studio that they had for right down from the bathroom, uh, Eric came in, he was wearing his uh, editorial, his union button and Greg Pratt came on the show. He's not, he's a city hall reporter. He's the president of the Tribune. Uh, Guild, and he came on my show a couple of weeks ago to talk about it. And I just, I got a lot of love and respect for the Tribune reporters who broke from that old trend. The Tribune traditionally, the reason why I have so many issues with it, Ramon, I'm a lefty, I'm a New Deal Democrat, you know, and the Tribune was always this right wing Republican rag that my family could not stand and uh, just like, oh, we, 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 it's like Nixon. It's hard for a, to get a baby of uh, a millennial or a, um, even your generation to understand the uh, attitude a little lefties have toward the Tribune because it's like they were such a, a red baiting outfit. They were always on the side of the police with fights with like the Black Panther raid. You know, they always, they were just, if there was a wrong side to be on, that's where the Tribune was. But I look where this this the staff is now and how they're trying to fight to save local journalism. And they collectivize in order to uh, sort of like protect their interests. Uh, they realize that they had to form a union or they would just been dismantled and thrown away. And I got a lot of respect for them. So Eric, Ramon and I are with you and all you other tributers out there. Um, all right, Ramana, uh, let's uh, move on. And I got to ask you, uh, you were teasing me a little bit about this earlier today. Uh, one of the things that Neil Steinberg uh, mentioned uh, in his uh, post about Lori Lightfoot is the criticism she has for uh, breaking promises. Uh, and I think I'm going to write about this, but I want to get your feeling on this. You tend to remind me of a lot of Chicago reporters who are very skeptical about uh, uh, politicians making promises and a little skeptical about um, naive citizens like myself who actually believe the things that politicians say. And your advice to people like me is stop being so naive and <laughs> believing what they tell you. Uh, your thoughts on politicians breaking promises go. Yeah. I mean, actually there's a lot of journalists, I mean, who, kind of buy, drink the Kool-Aid. They're like, oh, wow, this is going to be a <laughs> And I'm always like, okay, come on. You're not necessarily going to be different, right? And I know Lori Lightfoot. I know a lot of people, like, it's kind of like the Donald Trump thing. They're like, well, he's not a politician, so he's going to be so different than everyone else. And I'm thinking with Lori Lightfoot, people think the same way. Like, oh, well, she's not a politician. You know, she's not a career politician. She's going to come in and like everything's going to change. And like we're going to wake up and there's going to be rainbows and flowers sprouting everywhere. And 
and that the thing is that's naive because it's it doesn't work that way you know even when politicians promise something and it's like so to the left it's never going to happen that's the way i see it i go they're going to come and they're going to have to compromise and this is one of the arguments i've actually had with um, other people about bernie sanders i'm like why don't people let bernie sanders win and you know people who like know a lot about more about politics than me they're like well that's because he doesn't compromise and i'm like well why should he because i think he's one of the politicians that would actually do what he says but i think people want i think people want um they do want change but they think that it's going to happen overnight and it's not and I, i don't blame people for being like hopeful i mean with barack obama everybody saw this hope Right. But I remember I was thinking to myself, I'm like, the guy's not going to walk on water. Okay. He's going to be a politician just like anybody else. But yeah, it's, it's better. Is it better than Donald Trump? For sure. So I kind of look at it as like, is this person going to be better than what we've had or the status quo? They're going to change if they can push the needle a little but I, I, I don't think that, like, you know, whenever I see, like, somebody promising all these things, I'm like, okay, if the needle just pushes in the right direction, fine, even if it's a centimeter. But a lot of people think the needle's going to point, like, halfway around the world, and it's going to, like, the needle's just going to go berserk, and, you know, everything that they ever wanted is going to happen. And I'm not, I'm not surprised that Lori Lightfoot is going back on her promises. I'm not surprised at all. I, I, maybe there's some people, I mean, that think that, you know, wow, she made all these promises and didn't happen. I'm just not, you know, she needed to get elected. So she said what she had to say. See, that's the part I disagree with. But I I, I wrote down what you said. I'm going to, I think I'll give you credit for it. I won't just steal your words and not give you any credit. But what you said was really on target, push the needle. And, And I hear you. It's so, for instance, if my beloved Bernie Sanders, who I voted for twice, and I would probably vote for again, I'm with you. By the way, Ramana Hussein, huge Bernie Sanders supporter. Just throwing that out there. Every time his name is on the ballot, she's pushing that name. Just saying. Um, uh, a certain husband of hers, on the other hand, like Hillary. Anyway, um, but so I know, like when Bernie Sanders said, uh, let's get rid of uh, student debt and uh, make public education free for college, which is a sentiment I really share. I think, wow, that's a great idea. You know, we should have free public education for technical training, junior colleges, uh, and state schools. I I actually agree with that as an ideal, but I realize that it would be very difficult for President Sanders to make good in that. So as long as he pushes the needle, like you said, that's a great line, as long as he tries, but my problem with Lori Lightfoot, she literally came to the hideout, surveyed the liberals and lefties in the room, said, thought to herself, I'm going to tell them everything they want to hear, like the school board, a police civilian oversight board, no more TIF deals. And she doesn't even, Ramana, push the needle. It's yeah. like she takes the needle to quote Neil Steinberg and shoves it up. <laughs> so it's, I, I could take just pushing the needle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people who are super disappointed, like you're, come on, you have to, you, you covered politics for a long time. You shouldn't be that shocked. Um, but there are people who are like super shocked. Like, you know, they thought the needle was going to go halfway across the record. So to- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like if you just want her to go in the right direction, I mean, I think people would say, you know, most people in Chicago would say that they'd rather have Lori Lightfoot in power than uh, 
Donald Trump, but I don't know. Do would you rather have her than Rahm Emanuel? I'm I, I'm wow. Um, okay, that, I, at this moment in time, I would rather have Lori Lightfoot than Rahm Emanuel. I thought you would say, but that's what I'm saying for yeah. you pushing the needle. Not she's not but, no. I feel that Rahm Emanuel, uh, the, his handling of Laquan McDonald, every, put aside all our differences on how you invest city funds. We, Rahm Emanuel and I have huge differences. He thinks you should spend them in wealthy neighborhoods, et cetera, and take them from, by closing schools and spend them. Away. Put aside that, he buried evidence of a murder. I think there's, I've had this conversation with Mick so many times. I believe there should have been a criminal investigation into Rahm Emanuel and Laquan McDonald video. So it's just like, that's where it's sort of like, that's the bottom line with, you know what I'm saying? Like there's some things. Of course. That are so offensive. So uh, you're right. Lori Lightfoot's policies are not that much different than, I mean, they're, can you see a difference between Lori Lightfoot and Rahm Emanuel? Really? I mean. Besides the physical traits. No. Yeah. And, and I'm talking about, aside from their personalities, you know, yeah. I mean, so, but that's a great line. I'm going to use that uh, push. I just want them to push the needle a little bit. That is a great yeah. line. Um, all right, Ramada, recommendations. Let's start. Um, what's number one on your list to recommend? Well, I was telling you about this. I, I watched two excellent series. Um, they're both They're both from Asia. One is a Japanese series and the other one's a Korean series. So the Japanese series is called Alice in Borderland. Um, that one is probably, I, if I had to pick one, it's more creative than the Korean one, but the Korean one's also excellent. The Korean one is called Sweet Home. So Alice in Borderland is a show, it doesn't have that many episodes, it's only first season. It's about this kid who really likes playing video games, but all the, they're both dystopian type of shows. So everything in Korea, I mean, Japan, Tokyo suddenly just disappears and him and his two friends and only a few other people are alive. And so to survive, they have to play these like real life video games and they have to clear the board to sort of keep surviving. And that's how they have to live their lives. And it's really creative. I think it's a really good, good, good show. If you want to watch something, it's a little bleak, but still kind of fun in a way. And the other one, Sweet Home, was also a dystopian um, show. It's it's a Korean. It's based in Korea. And that show is where people turn into monsters. I know that's similar to like, you know, the zombie shows like The Walking Dead. But in this, it's like your desires turn you into a monster. Like if you really want something bad, people kind of turn into monsters. So it's based on this one apartment complex where people are living. And there's this one kid who has a tragedy in his life. He's he's able to turn into a monster, but he kind of still stays human. It's kind of like his experience and an experience of all the people he's living in the, in the building. I think that's it's it's a really excellent show. I think both of them are really excellent. I I kind of burned through them in two weeks. And Allison, uh, that's what I want to watch. Is that on the Netflix? Yeah, both of them are Netflix. It's called Allison Borderland, and I've seen a lot of articles on Netflix how these are like one of the these are like all over the world. People are watching this, these shows because and they find them really fun. And I know you don't mind reading subtitles. I don't mind reading subtitles. I don't know how anybody cannot watch something just because it's based in another country because there's a lot of creative material right now 
that are based in other countries. I mean, we have a lot of creative shows in the United States and in England too, but there's a lot of excellent, excellent shows that are based overseas. And they're just like, if you're not going to watch them, you're really missing out on them. But Alice in Borderlands fun. I mean, they're all, it's all, both of these shows like center on really, really young kids, but they're really creative. And, and well, really I'm going to check out that Alice in Borderland uh, one. Uh, and that'll be the next one I watch because uh, we just got finished watching. Uh, it's called Babylon Berlin, and I'm, it's so dark. It's German, so it's yeah. more oh. subtitles. It's so dark and so depressing and so confusing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm raising the flag of this thing. I uh, <laughs> I've had enough of the Weimar Republic. Uh, Got to ask you your thoughts on Judas and the Black Messiah. Had a long conversation uh, with Richard Steele. Uh, yesterday, which is going to be dropping uh, this weekend, the legendary Richard Steele. We talked a lot about it. And my pet peeve, uh, he was indulging me. He actually agreed with me uh, about Brits playing American roles. Yeah. Uh, but let's put that aside, my Donald <laughs> Trump moments aside, and uh, talk about Judas and the Black Messiah, the movie about the assassination of Fred Hampton. I thought I thought it was pretty good. I, I would give it three stars. I know I, my friend the other day, I was telling him, he was asking me what I thought about the movie. And I was like, oh, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was excellent. He's like, this whole year, have you said anything was excellent? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I'm not like you. He like everything is good, but um, you know, he's he's the one that also liked the movie that you recommended, the romance. The, oh, I love Sylvie's Love. Sylvie's I've, love. Seen it, I've seen it twice. He's the one that recommended <laughs> I liked it. I, I just thought there were some parts or I, I, I personally was very fascinated because I didn't know about this FBI informant. I never knew about his story. And Mick actually sent me um, an article about the informant and how he actually, I don't know if I'm, am I giving anything away by saying what happened to him? No, I, first of all, anybody listening who hasn't seen the movie, shame on you. And secondly, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, no, I don't think you're giving anything. It's about real historical events. So you could, if you look it up on Wikipedia, you'd find it. Go ahead. Yeah. So his name is William O'Neill, right? I'm like, mm -hmm. okay. So um, Bill O'Neill basically, um, I think after his interview aired in 1989, which I never saw, well, now I'm fascinated and I want to see it. But, um, you know, he ended up killing himself running into the Eisenhower. So I read the reader article that Mick sent to me because in, in the movie, they just said he killed himself, but they didn't say how. And and I, I thought the article was really interesting. And this is one of the things I know Mick and I had this. He probably is more, you know, he gets more annoyed than I do. He doesn't like biopics because they always like kind of twist a little of what exactly happened. But I don't think his uncle said that he didn't know that um, Fred Hampton was going to get killed. Um you know, I don't know, you know, what exactly he knew and didn't, but it, it, I did like the movie because they made him, they made the informant pretty human as to why he did this. You know, he, you know, they were, the cops were going to probably arrest him too and put him in jail for, you know, the things that he was doing at the time in his life. And he was only 17, 17 when uh, I think the FBI recruited him. So he was really young. So I didn't know that much about him. I, I did think that was fascinating. Um, I did think a couple parts were kind of fake when they had, what's that actor's name? The guy who played the FBI agent. He's like the poor, they call uh, him Jesse, the, uh, Jesse Plemons. I think yeah, his name is. They call him the poor man's Matt Damon, but <laughs> there was that one scene where he's like in the crowd, yeah. <laughs> the black Panthers. And, you know, he's like watching and I'm like, okay, I don't think there'd be a group of black Panthers. I mean, I know my friend was like, well, they accepted everyone, but I'm like, yeah, but this guy looks like a total FBI agent sitting in a group 
a Black Panther sitting there like right on, you know, waving his fist in the air. So I just thought that was kind of fake. I don't know if that's true. If there was an FBI agent clamping. Well, no, the, the, the whole point of that was that Fred uh, Hampton was reaching out to. Uh, oh, by the way, I have to thank you. Ramana Hussein, uh, and promote the interview I did yesterday with Manny Ramos, uh, Chicago Sun-Times ace reporter. And uh, I know my down, uh, the live listeners heard it. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out. Manny Ramos, great story about his grandfather, uh, who was an ally uh, with the Young Lords and an ally of the Black Panthers. And he was killed in a scuffle with an off-duty cop. Uh, and Manny has really been reflecting and thinking about it and the legacy. And uh, and it was Romano who set up that interview. So thank you for helping me uh, hook up with uh, Manny Ramos. I urge everybody to check it out. No, but, no. To- and, but his his uh, grand, Manny Ramos's grandfather's uh, casket is seen in the movie as the funeral. And they mention Manuel Ramos in, in the movie. And I never, you know, I think it was just amazing that Manny wrote this story about his grandfather. I had no idea who he was. So, I was telling, I was arguing with Mick. I go, one thing I do like about biopics, like in this instance, like I'm, I learn a lot. I mean, maybe sometimes they bend the truth a little, but then it makes me want to research and find out about these people. And then you just kind of get so intrigued about how young these activists were. Um, Manuel Ramos was only 20 when he was killed. Fred Hampton was 21. And it's just, it's just like, wow, these guys were really on fire. And I know, I know there's kids like that these days too, but it's just like, you know, these people made history at such young ages and did so many things at such a young age. And I don't know, overall, I liked the movie. It did give me insight a lot of things. I Okay, the one complaint, another complaint I had and why I didn't do four stars, it wasn't filmed in Chicago. And oh, yeah. Looked, and it didn't look like Chicago at all either. It's like at least film the exterior. I know sometimes it can be more expensive and there's probably a lot of red tape to film things in Chicago. And a lot of people use Toronto as a background. But I think this film used Cleveland. As, as as Chicago, so even the at least film the exterior shots in Chicago. That was my that was yeah. my, you know. So I uh, pet peeve. Uh, but to, to the point to uh, the point uh, the point of that rally was that Fred Hampton was trying to bring uh, went on a tangent. He's trying to bring um, uh, white organizations of white poor white people from uptown together oh, yeah. with uh, Puerto Rican organizations from people from Lincoln Park it was a big Puerto Rican population in Lincoln Park back then uh, together with black people and so that's how the FBI agent going working oh, okay. undercover would would have been there because he was one of the white uh people from uptown who came to hear oh. Fred Hampton talk and he was wearing, I don't know if you know, okay, Sorry. but whatever it uh, neither here nor there. Uh, I love the poor man's Matt Damon. I think the guy's a great actor and I love Lakeith Stanfield who plays William O'Neill two thumbs way up for him. He's just a great actor. So I urge everybody to go see that, to watch that movie. It's definitely, I definitely recommend it. I think it's, it's a, it's a good film to watch and, and especially like anybody from Chicago, I mean, I was telling you before the show, I had no idea who Fred Hampton was until I started working as a journalist. I never was told about him and or his history. So I just thought it was just fascinating. Just the story. Yeah. Well, you're young and and we'll close with this. Um, I, Not as young I sh- as- <laughs> What's that? Not as young as Dennis. No, Dennis is the youngest person I've ever met. Uh, and uh, so in today's bright one, my beloved Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always, Natalie Moore, I know is a good friend of yours, wrote a really good article, a column about Lean On Me uh, and pointing out uh, some of the flaws in Lean On Me. But the part that killed me, man, makes me feel so old. Natalie Moore, she's like, I'm going to read you the uh, opening. 
in seventh grade in 1989, I met up with a group of friends at Evergreen Plaza on Pulaski Day uh, to see the movie Lean on Me. Seventh grade in 1989? Man, that's too young. I'm sorry. <laughs> Got to be older than that. 1989, already had kids in the house. And whatever. Anyway, uh, great column by Natalie Morse, who's, who's even, uh, she's probably Dennis's age around there, uh, young, very young. Uh, Romana, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next Friday, all right? Okay, take care. That's a great Romana saying uh, on the show every Friday. What you got for me, D, before we head out that door? Wait, Romana, wait. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Miss her every week. I get so occupied with everything else. I was going to recommend she watch Duck Dynasty. I, I thought you were going to recommend Porky's. No, we were talking no. so much about that's it yesterday. Your, that's yeah. your favorite. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> okay, yeah. 80s trash. All right. <laughs> All right, let's do the back half here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Ben. Oh, okay. Listeners, you can't see this right now, but Ben is holding up a piece of paper. Trying to read it. Here, let me... <laughs> Play the rest of the weather report. Good Lord. <laughs> okay, well. Trend four. We, we heard from him in the first hour, and we cut him off due to, well, boredom. But our host insists that we hear the rest of our weekly Illinois weather report before we go any further. So here you go, Ben. The most boring podcast segment in America. Our weekly Illinois weather report continues with Illinois climatologist Trent Ford. Now for the good news. Oh, for really? Those who are tired of snowmobiling and ice fishing. Forecasts oh. for next week show a warm up statewide with high temperatures ranging from the high 30s to the mid 50s. Forecasts wow. also call for between a tenth and a half inch of precipitation this hey, next how's week. How's it going? Looking farther out, Climate <laughs> Prediction Center outlook show highest chances this of warmer weekend? and wetter than normal conditions know, through the end of this month and into March. The newly released one-month outlook shows a yeah. similar warm, wet tendency really? for March as a whole. Current snowpack and river ice can enhance flooding risk as we oh, move wow, into really? spring. However, flood risk really depends on how quickly we warm up and melt the said snow and said ice, that? as well as oh the amount God. and intensity <laughs> of rainfall over the next few weeks. What did you this say? is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford wishing yeah. everyone a happy Healthy weekend. Oh, oh, I gotta go. Good God, that segment's boring. <laughs> Wait, D, you missed it. Hmm. What? He said that March will be warm and wet. Really? I'm just telling you what the man said. He said March will be warm and wet. Hey, a lot of people with dirty minds out there. He's talking about the weather. God damn. You know, you can't take these listeners anywhere, all right? He's talking about the weather in March being warm and wet. Go ahead, D. My God, I hate that segment. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm with, I'm with you, live stream chat listeners. No, every time it gets ready to come up. Come on. You, we need to know more about the weather. Okay. Guys, his name's on the banner. It's whatever he wants to do. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we do have a follow up on a story we talked about earlier today. Critics of Mayor Lightfoot and Police Superintendent David Brown on Thursday agreed with the findings of a new report that says the police department was outflanked and underprepared for last summer's riots. Uh, with one alderman saying that Brown should be fired. Well, we have breaking news. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran, the woe man Spielman. Mayor, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said Friday she retains, quote, a thousand percent confidence 
in Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown, even though he presided over a department the inspector uh, the inspector general says was, quote, outflanked and unprepared. Uh, Lightfoot said, quote, in my time thinking about policing in the city, which goes back 20 years, I can't think of another leader who said, let's look at what happened, what went right, what the challenges were, and then we're going to put it out for the public to review it. That's David Brown's leadership. It says a lot about the integrity and legitimacy that he brings to the job. We're going to pause it right there. Ben, your thoughts. Well, uh, David Brown, my advice to you is start looking for another job. <laughs> when the mayor tells you she's behind you a thousand percent, that usually means I'm outraged. Now, how is that possible? A thousand percent? That's way more than a hundred. <laughs> yeah, and that's the part that gets me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's a little too much. If she said, I'm behind him 50%, I go, okay, at least you're honest. Boy, are they, th- why is David Brown the guy? You know what I mean? I mean, I thought the whole point of having the mayor in charge of everything is that the mayor is the one. So really folks, when you, this is how it goes in Chicago. They, uh, I give Ken, this is why I say I gotta give Ken his credit. At least he goes to the top. Uh, in Chicago, you always get mad at the lieutenants. So that was a favorite thing. Uh, Mick Duncan, they used to have blasted at budget hearings uh, in the Chicago City Council when they would bring out, I don't know, the head of the streets and sand or the budget guy or even the police chief. And uh, the alderman would be like interrogating. Look, I'm sick and tired of not getting answers from you. Like the streets and sand guy was the one in charge and not the mayor. And then when the mayor would come on Oh, your honor, let me bow down to you. But they were so tough on the streets and tan- saying that. So that's interesting. It's all David Brown. What did David Brown know? I and mean, did he know it? Let's take the deep dive. And so Lori Life, now Lori Lightfoot, because the attentions on David Brown gets to weigh in on whether he should be punished. So she's like, free. She goes, well, I'm standing by. And everybody's like, oh, North Siders. You know, oh, God, she's standing by David Brown. What a great mayor. She's so loyal to David Brown. Well, he's just, I don't know. Why David Brown and not the mayor? D, explain that to me, huh? Why are we focused on David Brown and not the mayor on this one? Help me out. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he's struggling good. Don't, don't ask me questions. I got nothing. I just work here. So uh, it's a, it's pretty good political uh, move to make David Brown the target. And then she gets to say, I'm standing by David Brown. He admits he made mistakes. He'll do it better later. So she's like absolved of anything. So it's actually, you know, actually now I'm thinking about it. And, you know, Northsiders, D, they're nodding along. Yeah, it's David Brown's fault. I could just hear, Ben, you can't blame the mayor for everything. Come on, Ben, be fair. So it's a pretty good Pretty good political strategy, D. Got to give her credit. And by the way, that's not completely true. But see, Lori Lightfoot's younger than me. Like the Summerdale scandal. There have been scandals from time to time uh, where the city has taken us, you know, pause, done an investigation, recommended changes, brought in new leadership, and then they just ignore everything. That's the valid point. But there have been, you know, uh, have been moments, moments, where the city has occasionally taken a look at things and 
But they, I think Lori Lightfoot's larger point is they quickly ignore any uh, recommendations and move on with business as usual. Mayor Lightfoot, anything you'd like to say? I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it. Okay, we're just going to continue with the story. (laughs) Was she talking to David Brown? I don't know. We're just going to continue along here. Lightfoot stood firmly behind her handpicked superintendent and branded as, quote, completely untrue. The IG's contention that she rejected Governor J.B. Pritzker's early offer to call out the National Guard to assist overwhelmed and exhausted Chicago police officers. Lightfoot went on to say, quote, there was never a time that it was offered and we rejected it. That's simply not true. I don't even know where that came from. She also didn't know where that tape came from either a few months back. But anyway, uh, she goes on saying the first conversation that I ever had with anybody from the state about the National Guard was when I called the governor myself that Saturday night. She also explained why she waited until very late on Saturday, May 30th, after widespread looting in the downtown area to request the guard after she and Brown determined that they needed additional resources. We'll end it out with one more quote here from the mayor. Mayor Lightfoot said, quote, I'm a kid who grew up in Ohio down the road from Kent State. My earliest memories are very seared by the then Ohio governor calling in the National Guard to Kent State, and the result was four students dead. Calling in the National Guard is a very serious matter, one that I did not take lightly. Well, very good. Now, that's a legitimate response, in my humble opinion. You know, she's not blaming anybody. You know what I mean? She's reflecting on her worldview, which is shaped by things she experienced growing up. And I remember Kent State as well. And so, yes, Raylo, I keep saying I got to bring Raylo back. Talk about what the National Guard would have done. And would just the presence of the National Guard alone have curbed uh, the looting and uh, the rioting? Uh, Could it have led to... More violence if the National Guard started shooting? Uh, these are serious questions. But uh, so I have to give her credit for that, D. Critical Mayor Lightfoot a lot today, but I'm going to give her credit for that response. Now, the whole thing about Pritzker, I mean, they should, you know, let's bring Pritzker on the stage. Let's bring, remember the old days, the early days of the pandemic when they when they did those joint press conferences? Remember those? Ah, the good old days. And JB would be there and Lori would be there and they'd be wearing their masks. And then the, JB would go, now let's hear from Mayor Lightfoot. And it was a, sh- a sign that the most, the, the, the mayor, the largest city in the state and the governor's state were together working. So let's have one of those joint press conferences, D. And let Fran Spielman ask the questions. I think this is a great idea. I like it. All right. I like it. All right. Uh, JB, uh, Governor Pritzker, Lori Lightfoot said you're a big liar. Uh, Thoughts, please? You know, the enemy is you. Uh, (laughs) You're never going to see that, D. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, JB Pritzker said you just make it up as you go along. Uh, Any comments on that? I will take your car. I will. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. That was Maya Dukmasova's favorite moment of Ben Jarofsky's show when Lori Lightfoot was questioning Hillary Clinton and asked her that penetrating question. And Maya came on the show the day after she happened to be in the audience and went on one of these classic Maya riffs. Good question. Good question, Madam Mayor. Oh my God, Ben, you're not going to believe this. What is that a 
Yeah, that's a bus. There's a bus outside. <laughs> what the? Oh my god, that is a bus. Wait, let me read what the bu a bus waiting to roll over Superintendent <laughs> Brown. Oh my. Okay. Well, we got a new bus uh, here. Oh and, oh, and Mayor Lightfoot's the driver. Oh my goodness, a new bus waiting to roll over Superintendent Brown. Uh, Ben, I guess I should just ask you. You want her off this bus, buddy? I'm with Brown. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look, Superintendent Brown, I'm going to give you some advice. Get that resume out. I remember when Lori Lightfoot was 100% behind Eddie Johnson. <laughs> then that big old bus went right over EJ. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> he lied to me. Yeah, DB, David Brown, get that resume out. <laughs> when the mayor says she's behind you 1,000%, it's kind of like when George Steinbrenner used to own the Yankees. I'm behind my manager 1,000%. Uh-oh. It's kind of like when Raylo said, no offense, but you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really. No offense, but yeah, uh, Raylo, I don't know. The whole no offense thing. Oh, since you said no offense, I'm not going to be offended that you told me to go beat myself because you said no offense. <laughs> no offense, but oh, I love that moment. Uh, never gets old. All right, guys, that's a week of Ben Jarofsky show in the books. All right. You can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, anything you missed throughout the week, guest interviews, so much more. Uh, ChicagoReader.com, wherever else you download podcasts. Check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. All right. Uh, we got Richard Steele on Saturday, Jason Lee, no, not the actor, on Sunday. He's calling in from Texas, I believe. And on Monday, Michael Harrington. Go check it out. You can find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email, Show at gmail.com, and call the Ben Jarofsky Show. Leave us a voicemail. Prank call us. Do whatever you want, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708 658 Four seven eight eight. We would love to hear from you. I want to thank Romana Saint. She did an outstanding job as she does every Friday. Of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all Illinois. Without whom the show would be possible. The man that Eddie Johnson and David Brown call White Lightning. I've never met praise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. The, en the, en the enemy is you. Thank you.